Father, just again, we just acknowledge uh, our, our dependence on you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and, and, and help us understand the word. The Lord Jesus, even in this gospel, has compared compared you with the wind, and and uh, we know we can't control the wind. We don't see where it comes from, where it's going, but we see its effects. So, um, so we just we just ask, uh, Heavenly Father, uh, in the name of the Lord, that you would that you would uh, uh, prosper our efforts today, not just here in Sunday school, but but this morning in service, and then this afternoon with Bible study. Uh, we we're hungry. We want to know. What you have to say, and, and um, just like we said earlier, you can't eat one meal uh, at the beginning of your life, and that's enough. You need to eat uh, throughout our lives, right, every day, and and throughout the day, and to meditate on these things, and to to constantly be. Eric was saying, I'm, I'm almost sixty now, and I still, but but there's, <laughs> you've been around forever, and to try to plumb the, the mind of God, we're we're just getting started. As much as we think we know, there's so much more to go, and so we. Pray that you would open your word again, um, and uh, as we finish out chapter 7 and we get into chapter 8, it's exciting times ahead here in this gospel, and, and uh, as we, we follow John's account of the Lord Jesus uh, as the Son of Man. We pray this in, in his name. <clears throat> okay, division over Jesus continues. One more call and notes. I've got two two pages up here. If anybody wants, just come on up, grab one. If somebody comes in, grab one. All right. So last time uh, we started this, and we went through this little table here, and um, we didn't really get into our text, but we're going to get into our text this morning. We'll have us read that. But I just want to set the the context for us again here quickly. Prior to this, we spent about I think it was four sessions on. Um, on the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And I didn't intend maybe to go that long necessarily, but um, that was, to me, a very enlightening study. And I hope it was for you, too. I'm, I'm beginning to realize that, you know, as you, as you read in Leviticus, for example, Leviticus 23 is where, you know, all of the feasts of Israel are spelled out. And, I, and I'm realizing that it's not just, they're not just past commemorations, but there is, there is a prophetic aspect of those of that timeline, and it really seems that the spring feasts are fulfilled in his first coming, and then the ones uh, in the fall are to be fulfilled with his second coming. Maybe not all at once. I think tabernacles, in fact, we know uh, uh, from Zephaniah that ta tabernacles is going to be celebrated on in through the millennium, which I think is interesting. It says that express expressly. The nations are required to come and celebrate tabernacles with Jesus here on the earth. Think about that. Uh, I think what that's telling us is that tabernacles is yet to be fulfilled in the final state after the millennium when the new heavens and the new earth are created. That's when it will be fulfilled, um, which is interesting. So anyway, tabernacles is in the background of these four chapters, right? John 7, John 8, John 9, and 10. Okay. Uh, the second half of John 10 is happens against the backdrop of what we today know as Hanukkah, and when we get there, I'll talk more about Hanukkah, where it comes from, and its historical connection. Most importantly, most Christians don't know this. I didn't know this for a while. You know, you, we don't really know much about Jewish feasts. You see it on your calendar, you know, Hanukkah. Oh, okay, whatever, you know. And you think of the, the little lighted menorah, you know, and electric lights in the window or something, you know, whatever. 
But there is, this, there is a, a historical connection between uh, Hanukkah or what they call, what John calls the Feast of Dedication uh, and Tabernacles. Okay, so there is a connection there, which is important. And, and so we'll explore that. Jesus has reached the pinnacle. In remember again, John, John fast forwards through a good part of the first two two and a half years of his ministry. We catch little snippets here and there. You know, we've seen the we've seen the beginning. Uh, John's the only one that tells us, you know, about the, the about the cleansing at the beginning of his cleansing of the temple at the beginning of his ministry. The other gospels tell us about it at the end. John doesn't tell us that. <clears throat> um, we catch little. Uh, um, it might have even been that, that very evening when he talked to Nicodemus. And then we catch little snippets about the, the woman at the well and a few other things. And then with chapter 6, it really starts to slow down because chapter 6 tells us, it's remember, you guys remember um, last time that we met at the Bible study, Larry handed out a sort of a, a, a comprehensive, all the miracles of Jesus, right, in all the Gospels, right? Well, if you look, go back and look at that sheet again, and you'll see one miracle has all four Gospels. No other miracle does that except the resurrection, okay? That's the only, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Go back and look at that sheet and you'll verify that, okay? And when, when we got there in chapter 6, uh, you know, I asked myself that question, and why is this so significant that it appears in all four Gospels? The only one. And I think it's because that was the pinnacle of his popularity, and his popularity begins to decline at that point. And I think all the Gospels recognize that, and and emphasize that it draws special attention to that. And so we're continuing that. And that's kind of what we looked at last time here, that opening paragraph. <clears throat> um, as, as we close out chapter seven, chapter seven is a little strange compared to the other chapters. Most of the other chapters have, you know, sort of sections in them. The whole chapter might be like in John, well, not the chapter, but half of John five is just this monologue with Jesus. And it opens with the, with the um, the sign that sort of leads to the monologue that he has with them, and you know, anyway, John seven is is a little unusual in that it's there's a lot of this flipping back and forth. Jesus doesn't say a whole lot in this chapter. He does speak, but there's a little snippets here and there. And I think the reason for that is that John eight, as even studying this morning, uh, just in preparing for what's coming up, and and just aware of how I think John 8 is going back and kind of overlaying again what Jesus had been saying and the major point of confrontation during the Feast of Tabernacles that he had with the Jews. And we'll talk more about that when we get to John 8. But, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, re sort of, maybe not a lot, but there are definitely some repeats of what's been said in John 7 again in John 8, but now he's going to expand on it, okay? But John 7 has a lot of this, again, we have little snippets of Jesus, but a lot of crowd reaction, right? And that's what I'm saying there in the opening paragraph of our notes is that, you know, we've watched these, you watch these TV shows or whatever where maybe it's a game show, right? Uh, and, and you see the contestants up there or the host will say something, ask a question or whatever, and the camera will there's other cameras that are audience facing, right? And they'll cut to the audience and you'll see their reaction. You know? I mean, we'll even see that like with uh, John, some of the videos from John, you know, he's preaching, right? And you see him, he's preaching. 
but then you'll see a shot of the audience and you'll see their reactions or they're listening or they're flipping the Bible, writing notes or something. Right. And John seven is like that a lot where, where John is, 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 we'll say something, Jesus will say something, and then we'll see the reaction of the audience, you know, or he will just show up even, right? He just shows up to the feast. And, and what are they saying? How are they responding? And so we took some time and that's that whole table. We won't go through that again. Um, just to see, just to recap <clears throat> all of those cuts back and forth. And, and you can see that there's there's a lot of confusion, right? John MacArthur, when he was, he was uh, preaching on this, used that word confusion to describe the reactions that, <clears throat> that there's really sort of three, almost three categories that emerge. There's people who are very much on board. Yeah, this is the Christ. There are other people who are very much against him, right? And those were the ones that we saw in chapter five. They're, they, they've laid the, they've already decided that they need to put him to death, okay? But then there's a lot of people that are in the middle. They're just sort of confused, and there's this, you know, and we're going to see that again in the text um, as we close out this chapter. That, that, that whole thing really becomes very clear. That sort of all three of these different reactions uh, really sort of all come together in, in, our, in our text, okay? Okay. Um, is that, does that make sense? I'm trying to help us understand the larger context. It's so important, right, in understanding Scripture. Okay. All right. So let's get into our, our text itself. This is John 7, verses 40 through 52. And we're not doing 53 because that's actually part of uh, uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 8. So we'll get that next time. But but really, uh, most scholars believe that 52, and I agree with them, I think uh, 52 actually ends the chapter. Okay. Um, so let's have somebody, uh, let's, let's first, uh, so on our outline for the notes there, we have, um, we have uh, um, the reactions from the crowd. That's sort of major point number one. And then on the second page there, um, point number two, major point number two is the reactions from the authorities, right? So it's kind of divided into two, two main parts, the best that, that I can tell. Uh, so let's have somebody read uh, 40 through 45, please. This is the reactions from the crowd. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from, and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. <clears throat> Good, thank you. It's not the first time we've heard that. This is almost like a symphony where you hear the same little <clears throat> musical idea up here time and time again. Um, people have tried to, to lay hands on Jesus quite a few times, um, both in John and the other Gospels, and you know they're just prevented from doing that. It's, incidentally, um, I'm not reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, sorry to contradict. Not this year, anyway. I have done that before. Uh, but one thing I am doing is is going through uh, every day a chapter in in the um, in John's uh, One Perfect Life. You know, reading those notes and going back. Sometimes it take two days to do one chapter because of all the notes. 
and that's that's really really good uh, because as we're studying John, it's so great to see how all the other gospels together you know speak together and put it in chronological flow. It's really really powerful, and um, uh, yeah, it's what struck me. There's something talking about something that you learned recently. I didn't really realize that at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, He's already been baptized by John. He's gone into the wilderness. Um, John the Baptist, right? He's gone into the wilderness, has temptation. He comes back to right straight after that wilderness temptation. He comes right back straight to where John is still baptizing. And it's there that John the Apostle tells us that he, John the Apostle, and Andrew first encountered the Lord, okay? And it's John the Baptist appointed to him. You know, Jesus is like walking along. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God, right? And it says, and then the next day, he says it again. And it's like, by the time, by the second day, John the Apostle and Andrew were like, oh, maybe we ought to follow him. <laughs> so, um, but what's interesting is, is kind of after that first call, he, even his disciples, those, those, that core inner group, Peter, we're introduced to Peter early, his first encounter. It took them a while before they really got on board. It would back right away. And so the Lord, there is this, we tend to think of this, you know, John the Baptist, uh, you know, and it's like this hard beginning of Jesus' ministry, but it really wasn't. It was like almost from a human viewpoint anyway, sort of these fits and starts, you know, and his disciples didn't really fully get on board right away. And there was this, Jesus was still traveling around. And, and in the midst of all of that, it seems like he went to his hometown and and in a sense, extended to them, I don't want to put too many words there, but extended them a, an invitation to be his center of gravity, his capital, if you will, or his, his not capital, but his, his base of operations for his ministry. And they wanted to throw him over the cliff. Remember that? He was in the, in the, in the, in the uh, um, synagogue, and he, he stood and read from Isaiah 22, I think it is, right? And, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to... And it's enabled me to preach the gospel right to the poor and all of that. And he says, today the scripture is spoken in your hearing. You want to hear it. And uh, anyway, so he moves his base of operations, interestingly, to Capernaum. Uh, and that is that is interesting, too, because that's on your notes at the very end there. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, Capernaum was the place where at least four, possibly seven of the disciples also came from. Okay, so I don't know what all that has to do with. I've been to Peter's house, by the way. Have you? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, uh, 40 through 44, <clears throat> the reactions from the crowd, right? Okay, so let's look at verse 40. Uh, this is on your notes, the second page there, uh, letter A. Uh, pro, he is a prophet and or the Christ, right? So this is 40 through 41, and it says, uh, when they heard these words, now, notice this, some of the people, okay, so again, John is, is careful to help us know who this is, right? It doesn't say the Jews. The Jews are coming uh, here in just a minute, all right? But this is the people. There's a general reactions from the crowd. This really is the prophet, okay? And on your notes there, I included um, several other references. Um, let's... Uh, Let's see. Let's compare that to, let's start with the one in Deuteronomy. Okay, somebody turn back 
uh, and read that, that passage that's there in your notes, if you would. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up to you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, for I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I commanded him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of another, other gods, that preacher shall die. The prophet shall die. You say that on 21? No. Keep 20. Okay. Yeah. That's there on your notes again. Letter A. So thank you. Yes. So you see here, um, and 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 that's actually it's good that you read that because uh, when I first saw this, I was like, mm. but what's what's going on here is is God is establishing. So Moses, um, you know, when he's thinking of how to classify Moses, he was um, a obviously the leader, right? He was he was almost like the judges who came later, right? But he was also a prophet, right? So he, he had a number of these roles kind of rolled into one. The one thing he didn't do was the priesthood. That was his brother Aaron, right? He wasn't really, at least in as far as the tabernacle goes. Now, there, there is a priestly function that, that Moses did have in interceding on behalf of the people directly to the Lord at the mountain, Mount Sinai itself, okay? Um, but the point is here that one of the main roles that, that Moses had was a prophet to the people. And you've heard this illustration, but I think it's worth, not illustration, but this, this sort of summary of the difference between a prophet and a priest. And, and I think it's worth mentioning again. What is the difference between a prophet and a priest? Right? Well, a, a priest stands, as it were, between between two parties, right? So you got God on one hand, and you got the people on the other. And the priest stands with his back to the people, ministering on behalf of the people to God, right? There's this idea of intercessory interaction, right? Jesus is our high priest, right? He's he's at the right hand of God, interceding for us, right? Um, but but this idea of the the back to the people, speaking and uh, representing the people to God. Prophet is the other way around. Prophet turns around 180 and speaks from God to the people. Okay? And so those two roles, can you can see how one person could, Jesus certainly did that, right? He's our prophet, priest, and king. Moses did that too in, in many respects, and some of the other prophets did as well. You know, they did intercede on part, behalf of the people. But I think what's being established in this section here in Deuteronomy. And the Jews picked up on this. So the rabbis taught this. And this was a this was a major and very popular doctrine in 
the Jewish mindset. So if you've been raised at that time, anybody said to you, I wonder if Jesus is the prophet, you would have known what that meant. It's a capital P prophet. It's not just any prophet. You know, they'd have, you know, we reading through the Bible, you'll read the major and the minor prophets, right? There's a lot of prophets that had been used by the Lord uh, over time, and Moses was one of them, uh, probably the now, I don't want to say the first because Enoch came before him. Moses or Noah had, a, had an aspect that he was a prophet as well. Um, but anyway, the point is, in this text right here, there is a prophecy or foretelling of the future that God says there's coming one day, not just any prophet, but a prophet, the prophet, who I will raise up in your stead, Moses. And what he's wanting, what's interesting here, if you if you listen to what dad or just read along, what does he say about that? He says, I hold anybody accountable who doesn't listen to me. Okay, it's pretty serious, pretty serious warning. And and the Jewish people by and large took that and to heart, and they were looking for this one, this greater prophet who would come as has been prophesied here, and and and, and is even greater than Moses and will speak to the Lord, and anyone doesn't listen to him, he's going to be held accountable for it, okay? So, now back to our text. <clears throat> Actually, before we get back to our text, let's flip, let's flip now. <clears throat> I'm kind of doing these in reverse order to, to the way they appear on your notes there. You know, I have Deuteronomy at the end, so we'll read backwards now. Let's go to verse uh, 6, uh, John 6, verse 14. Somebody can read that. After the people saw the miracle signs that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. Okay, so there's one of those references, right? Here's here's where the people what what is what has just happened? Yeah, the feeding of the five thousand or twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Twenty thousand some odd people, right? <clears throat> Well, what, what do they mean? In, in, in my translation, I have the ESV. I don't know if y'all do too, but the translators actually make that a capital P. Okay. NIV does too. Yeah. And, and it's a definite article in front of that, right? So it's not just a prophet. I'm not saying it's a little P prophet. It's the capital P prophet. You see that? Mm -hmm. That's important. That's very important because that is a... That is a reference back to that text that we just read in Deuteronomy where Moses had predicted that there's this, this yet future at the time he's predicting, right? Yet future prophet that's going to replace him and going to be that one that speaks from the Father or from God to the people, right? And you will listen to him. You don't listen to him, I'm going to hold you accountable for that, right? That's, that's pretty, pretty serious. Were they right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. Um, I will say, though, kind of like today, you know, we I've been listening to some messages on some differing views on when the rapture is going to happen. And uh, I believe it's going to happen. Uh, I'm firmly convinced of that. I used to be a little ambiguous one way or the other. Um, I, I do believe it now because um, the Lord is going to turn his attentions back to ethnic Israel and they will be saved. Um but exactly when that's going to happen uh, is good, good, honest men and women disagree, right? And 
And so the same kind of principle is true with the prophet, right? Where it seems to be, and, and that's what we see in our text, if you want to flip back to chapter 7 here, um, is, uh, um, well, let's just read verse 31 in chapter 7 real quick. Uh, never mind. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to, we'll get to that here in a second. Okay, sticking sticking with this idea of the prophet. If you want to look back at uh, look again at verse forty of chapter seven, over looks at verse forty one. Okay, so some people are saying this is really the prophet. That's the end of verse forty. Everybody with me? John seven verse forty. Okay, forty one immediately says others said this is the Christ. Okay, so aren't they one and the same? Mm -hmm. Why the redundancy? Why say, some are saying this is the prophet, others saying this is the Christ, if they're the same? Well, they may not have thought of them as the same. Exactly. From what I can tell, there was disagreement as to exactly who the prophet was and how we would know him when he came. And it was, I think the majority of opinion then was that that was another name or another uh, designation for the Christ, for the anointed one, for the Messiah. Okay. But there were others who thought, well, it could be, but then again, maybe it speaks of a great prophet who is, right on the heels of, or right before, okay, or coming before to prepare the way for the Messiah. Does any of that sound familiar? If you remember, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, but um, when John the Baptist was being asked by that delegation of priests that came, and these are just Levites, by the way, they were, they were, they were, they weren't like, you know, the, the chief priest. Uh, which was a, which were like the really demon guys, right? But but they came <clears throat> on behalf of the Jewish leaders, um, and this is uh, chapter one, verse uh, starting with with uh, verse nineteen, John one nineteen. Just listen, and this is testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you, right? They're, so they're puzzled, who is John the Baptist? He clearly has this fantastic ministry, even though he didn't do any miracles, okay? But clearly, the hand of God is on him. A lot of people are coming to him, and you know, right? So they, they want to know, well, who are you? Because they're looking for a fulfillment of their scriptures, okay? And there's a lot of puzzlement, even among the Jewish leaders, about who John the Baptist is. And so it says, uh, he confessed, verse 20, John 1, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, okay? And if you remember, in the English there, it's, it's a little soft, but it, it's, it's a, in the Greek, it's a very, very firm denial, right? Absolute, it's a double negative, I am no, by no means the Christ, okay? So he denies that flat out. And then they asked him, verse 21, what then are you Elijah? He said, I am not. What's the next statement? Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? Okay. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. 
Notice that his answers to those other two questions, are you Elijah? Because they were expecting <clears throat> Elijah to come back again in the last days, possibly. Others, uh, the spirit of Elijah, Jesus picks up on that and gives the proper interpretation that it's, it was in the spirit of Elijah, uh, Elijah himself, right? Uh, he says, if you can bear that, in other words, if it doesn't offend you to, to learn that maybe your opinion about who, about that was wrong, okay? Um, so he's, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those. And he just simply says, I'm the voice. I love that. I'm, I'm the voice. Crying in the wilderness. It doesn't matter who I am. It's not about me. It's about the message. Right? But I just, let's get back to chapter 7 here. Um, I just want you to see that again because what that's showing us again is kind of the same thing we see here. Is that, <clears throat> is that there's some disagreement among honest men and women, Jewish people, as to who or what exactly this capital P prophet is that Moses predicted would be coming. He didn't hear his word. Well, what's interesting is John the Baptist himself has already taken himself out of the running for the prophet, which when we look back, hindsight with, with what we know in Scripture can only leave one other option, right? So now we know, looking back, when we when we read that text in Deuteronomy 18, we know exactly who he's talking about. Even though there are, <clears throat> it could be argued from Deuteronomy 18, and it kind of munges together, you know, if that prophet speaks anything that I haven't told him, he speaks presumptuously and all that. Okay, well, that's not true of Jesus. But there were, there were other prophets who came for a long time, and John the Baptist is the very end of that line of, of smaller P, a prophets, right? Or, but the prophet, the capital P prophet, was Jesus. He is the one who is coming for. And John spends, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, spend a lot of time making sure we understand that. Good morning, you guys. Come on in. <laughs> okay so when they heard these words some of the people said this is this is really the prophet they're convinced all right so i put there on your notes this is a pro statement and then the one after we just looked at this is the christ and christ is um Christ is a, a, a um, what we call a transliteration, right? That's a a, uh, a Greek word that is basically carried as is over into English. The Greek word is Christos, right? And uh, we say Christ. And Christos itself is also, it's a translation of the Hebrew word we know of as Messiah. So Christ and Messiah are the same thing. It's just different languages, right? Hebrew would be Messiah. Christ would be Greek. And so others are saying here, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ who is to come. And I think John just distinguishes those two because, um, again, they're, they're, those two uh, designations are very important. You know, I don't think John is saying that they're separate. In fact, I think the opposite. What he's saying is, you know, there may still have been some confusion in the crowd, but there's no confusion now. We know that both of those were fulfilled in Jesus. 
All right, so then that's uh, that's letter A. Letter B is a, is a con. That's, uh, and I put, quote, unquote, proof here that he was not the Christ. Uh, that's verses uh, 41B through 42. So 41B says, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was from? <clears throat> so what are they trying to say here? Some people are convinced he's the Messiah, he's the prophet. Others are questioning that, skeptical, right? Yeah, no. I wouldn't put these, I put I put con on there because I'm just looking for kind of a hard binary thing, but this really, maybe confusion is a little better. Um, skeptical, that's a good term. Yeah, they're a little skeptical, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Right. See, I think, the, you know, again, we're back to the feeding of 5,000, you know, then you saw that, you know that, that had to spread like wildfire. Even those who weren't there. So when you hear something, you're you're you have a tendency to go, oh, really? You yeah. Know? Unless you really actually saw it. So I think some of these are, are interesting. That that example, these people have heard of him, but they just don't know it. And so <clears throat> they're probably hearing maybe some of these people that are that are saying this is the guy. Those are maybe ones. Even actually, I had the eye view and of, of even the luxury of having in that group of people in five thousand, or they may have known someone that they trust and believe that was part of that, and they are stemming off that. You got you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But these other ones are like they're just hearsay. But I'm thinking, you know, same thing with like what you just said, the rapture. We know that it's going to happen. But we, you know, we 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 don't we can't. And that's what kills man because we can't pinpoint something, something like that. So I think a lot of it is just in, in being um, skeptical is because they just don't have the true facts. They don't have all the facts yet. Yes. And that, that's, I think you're right. I think it's sweet. I don't think there's a sense here which, in which they are flatly denying that he could be the Christ. But they're, but they're trying to, there could be that. But I, I agree with you. I think it's more the sense of, well, this guy's from Galilee, but the scripture says that he's supposed to be from Bethlehem, right? And by the way, uh, the city of David, <clears throat> that designation, actually, there's two places known as the city of David, okay? So don't get that confused either. And I think that's where um, uh, the, the actual clarity from John comes from here um, in clarifying that this is uh, the town where, where, where David was from. <clears throat> the city of David designation could be Bethlehem. It doesn't say that here necessarily, but I'm just saying in general, just so you know. But the other city of David is a is a uh, a, a town, not a town, but a, maybe a uh, a district is a good way of us thinking about it in Jerusalem. And it's the old place where, as far as, far as I know. Uh, where David's palace was. Okay, Zion. Yeah, the city of David is a district in Jerusalem. Okay. But this is referring clearly to Bethlehem, right? Um, now, if they had bothered to do their research 
they would have known that, right? Well, where does that come from? They're not wrong in that sense. They just haven't connected all the dots, right? And that's on your notes. We're familiar with Michael 5, too. We just got through Christmas, where that's quoted, right? You, Bethlehem, uh, you will come to rule, and so on, right? So we won't, we won't read that again because you're familiar with it. But, but this, there is, they, they are right to say, no, the scripture says he should be coming from, from this old town of Bethlehem. But this guy's from Galilee. Okay. The significance of the designation of Galilee will come up here in a little bit, and we'll really see why that was a stumbling block to many. That Jesus, remember what I said to you at the opening, that Jesus' center of gravity, his headquarters, if you will, is based in Capernaum. For most of his ministry and most of his ministry although he did make regular trips down to judea right he went through samaria too we know that and he ministered on the other side of the jordan too but most of it happened up in galilee he was from galilee he was sort of known as the galilean that whole again it's not a town it's a it's a like a county right and so and so he's from that area and we're going to see him in, 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 in next week uh, when we look at the leader's reaction people did not think particularly in Judea, did not think very highly of people from Galilee. Okay. In other words, and put it in, in our vernacular day, this is probably something that we can can apply to our own lives as well as, as we close out and think about application. Um, be careful that you don't limit God to people that you think that he can't use, right? Uh, we're going to see that with the leaders. The leaders are going to come back and say, there's no prophet. Look and see. No prophets ever come out of Galilee. Well, it turns out they're wrong. Okay? Uh, but the point is that it it, it shows the, the bias that was out there. It's almost like Nathaniel, you know, when he when he first heard about, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? And uh, it turns out something did. Okay? So don't limit God in what you think he can or can't use in terms of people. You know, they may be on the wrong side of the tracks. They may not look like you think they ought to look. The wrong political party. Wrong political party. <laughs> Ouch. You can still use them for those purposes. He did. Close the prayer. Father, again, thank you that you are not limited in the types of people you can use because that includes us as well. And uh, we thank you that we have the, the hindsight of, of uh, scriptures like this and 2,000 plus years of additional history of the growth of the church and the witness of countless believers through the ages. Um, we even less so have a reason to be confused about who you are. Um, they didn't have reason then either. If they had bothered to go look in the temple records, they would have seen that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. Because eight days later, when they came, Luke tells us explicitly, they came to the temple where Simeon and Anna met them and uh, to fulfill the circumcision and to give him his, his formal name and to also fill out the temple records as to who he was, when he was born, where he was born. And, uh, and the records were there if they bothered to look. Um, and so I thank you that we don't have to remain in confusion. We can know for sure who you are. And 
who the Lord Jesus is. And in believing that, not in saying a magic prayer or believing facts that about historical Jesus, but believing and receiving him as Lord, confessing him as Lord, there is salvation. Bless the service, we pray now. In Jesus' name. Amen.